0: Hi everyone, my name is Blake Skews. you're listening to the SCU Buzz podcast. Today I'm speaking with Faculty of Health Academic at Southern Cross University, Associate Professor Christian Swan. Christian's research focuses on the psychology of sport, exercise and physical activity. His specific expertise is on improving quality of experience, promoting mental health, and understanding how best to use goal setting. Welcome, Christian. How are you today? Good. Thanks, Blake. Thanks for having me on the podcast. As I said before we started, I've done a lot of research the past week, just uh, looking at what you've done, and it's very fascinating stuff. I'm very interested to start today. So how about we just jump straight in with the first question? Sure. It's good to know that at least one person's read our research. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Christian, to start off with, um, could you tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into the fields of exercise science and psychological science?
1: Yeah, sure. So I studied in the UK at University of Lincoln, where I did my undergrad degree and then my PhD. And my PhD was essentially in how professional golfers get into the zone. So I carefully designed my PhD project to allow me to go and watch professional golf tournaments all around the UK and interview pro golfers after they had won the tournament or after they'd like shot a really good round or sort of had a career best round. So like really exceptional performances. And essentially I was, I was interested in understanding the psychology behind those exceptional performances. So what were they doing? What were they thinking? What were they feeling? and what psychological states were they getting into when they were able to perform at exceptional levels. And so that was really when I, I guess, started my research in and around sports psychology and gradually after my PhD sort of, yeah, gradually expanded the research to look more into exercise as well and um, now more focused on physical activity. So sort of essentially took our findings from the PhD with professional athletes and thought, well, it'd be cool to see if that actually applies to a much broader population and sort of if if it also works for average Joe. And so, um, yeah, since my Ph.D., uh, which finished in 2013, a lot of my research has sort of been taking those core ideas that we developed and then sort of gradually just testing them in larger and larger populations. And now at the moment, a lot of our focus is on um, helping people get more active. And, you know, at the moment, around 75 percent of adults in Australia aren't meeting physical activity guidelines. So that's obviously quite a big population and um, yeah, still working through seeing if the findings that we got sort of 10 years ago with professional athletes could be helpful to everyday people in Australia to help them get slightly more active.
0: Yeah. Even in the media, you can definitely see there's more improvement on looking at the physical and uh, psychology of the athletes throughout Australia, which is great and hopefully more worldwide. Would you say when you are researching both the physical aspect and the mental aspect of athletes, it's two different researchers or do you find they kind of go hand in hand?
1: I think it's sort of hard to answer that. I think in terms of our research, essentially that we have multiple streams of research. So, you know, some of our research is focused on the, you know, what happens when people are in the zone and have these sort of really, really positive experiences. Another stream of our research is around... How people set goals, particularly for physical activity, and whether they're choosing a type of goal that will help increase their physical activity but also make them feel good in the process, or whether the goals they're setting actually sort of create psychological barriers for long term engagement in, in physical activity and then another stream of research that I'm involved in is very much around promotional mental health, primarily through community sports clubs, but yeah, still focusing sort of on on the promotional mental health as a distinct stream of research, so in terms of how I'm approaching it, is, is sort of working across those three streams, um, which obviously have some crossover, but yeah, sort of treat them separately rather than trying to do everything at one go.
0: Sure. They kind of intertwine in certain areas. Yeah, totally. Well, you've also mentioned, Christian, um, that you delve into goal setting. And I was wondering if you could tell us what goal setting is and what are some of the benefits of that?
1: Yeah, sure. So goal setting is a really, really common strategy that people use across all sorts of domains, ranging from business to education to obviously sport and exercise and physical activity. And goal setting is essentially the process of thinking ahead into the future to think about what you would ideally like to see happen, and then working backwards from there to try and make it happen. So the goal setting process is is very much around trying to provide direction to people, trying to provide motivation, and trying to sort of distill you know, if we think if we think about it in the future, there's all sorts of different possibilities of what we could choose to spend our time and efforts doing. So goal setting often helps us sort of refine that and identify some priorities and help us sort of channel our energies into pursuing those priorities. And so the research that we do is very much around looking at the different types of goals that can be set and trying to figure out which ones are most appropriate in in which circumstances. So we know that there's over 20 different types of goal. We know that they all have different effects on behavior and different effects on how we feel. And so there's different combinations, right? So like if if I'm trying to get more active, then yes, it's probably important for me to increase the amount of physical activity I'm doing. But if I want to sustain it long term, then it's probably even more important for me to feel good about myself as I'm trying to get more active. Because that will mean that I enjoy it more, I take more pleasure from it, and I'm more likely to continue changing my behavior long term. If I was to try and increase my physical activity, sort of with a no pain, no gain kind of attitude, and setting certain types of goals that that do that, then yes, I may well increase my physical activity in the short term. But I might not enjoy it, and I might not feel good about myself, and I might not achieve the goals that I'm setting myself. And even though my physical activity might increase, I might not enjoy the process of getting there. Then obviously, if that is the case, my chances of sticking with it longer term are are probably reduced. So. We're sort of um, working in this space of trying to see what's sort of the right combination in different scenarios um, to try and help people increase and you know improve what they're trying to improve, but also do so in a, in a way that makes them feel good.
0: So it's really just a bit of a trial and error for the individual themselves to see what's going to work best.
1: Well, that's what we're trying to avoid. We're trying to do the research that helps them know what to do so that they don't need to go through trial and error. So a lot of our studies are bringing participants in setting up multiple different comparison groups putting them into those groups and then testing different combinations of goal and measuring exactly what i just talked about sort of the output in terms of physical activity and measuring all sorts of psychological variables and then at the end we take a step back and we try and look at what's the like which type of goal or which types of goal are leading to the the most optimal combinations and again yeah with that sort of end goal in mind of helping helping people increase physical activity but in a way that makes them feel good along along that journey
0: amazing well most people have been taught to get smart goals can you tell me about this and why this is um, a need to move beyond this strategy
1: yeah so smart goals are one of the most widely used strategies I think out there in terms of uh, goal setting Um, they originated in the 80s and were essentially proposed a strategy in management and industrial psychology and sort of organizational psychology as a way of helping managers to specify the goals that they were setting for their employees. Over a number of decades since then, they've sort of filtered into other areas and essentially other fields have said, well, if that's what they're doing, then it sounds like they know what they're doing in industrial and organizational psychology. So we'll do the same and we'll assume it works for us too. And so certainly in sport and exercise and physical activity, SMART goals are really prominent, very widely used. There's, For example, in Australia, there's a prominent framework called the Clinical Framework for the Delivery of Health Services, which requires that practitioners working under that framework need to set SMART goals. And so there, yeah, there's actually a requirement a requirement in some instances where people are sort of forced to use that particular style of goal setting. And that's been prominent for a number of decades. And we're just now starting to ask questions about whether that's as good as we think it is. And so last year, we published a paper that identified eight reasons why SMART goals probably aren't as as helpful as we assume they might be. And so some of those reasons include things like not being in line with the latest scientific theory, not being up to date with scientific evidence, being really inconsistently used. So we found, uh, we, we reviewed a, a selection of studies in physical activity that had used SMART goals, and we found that there were th- over 30 different combinations and variations of what smart means so the common one is specific measurable achievable realistic and time bound but yeah we found over 30 different combinations so even though people think that it's sort of one strategy it's actually being used in all sorts of different ways which means there's no real consistency around what people are doing and also because of that there's there's very it's very hard to understand the evidence around whether it's working or not so yeah, we've, we're starting to sort of ask questions of whether this is the best way to go and trying to think around whether there's things that we can do better to help people, you know, across a range of domains, improve their performance or increase their physical activity or do more exercise, but also being really conscious and mindful of the psychological impacts of different types of goals as well. And so some of the other sort of interesting things we found with SMART goals and and goals that are very specific is... That often there's very high failure rates, even with when those goals are set to be quite easy. So, obviously, the A in SMART is typically stands for achievable, and the R is normally for realistic. So, even when you're setting achievable and realistic goals, there's actually still quite high failure rates, which in some cases are 30 plus percent. And so, if you think that people engaging in exercise or physical activity are trying to get more active, but they're failing over a third of the time, then again, you have to sort of ask yourself what psychological impact that is likely to have and, and certainly what are the influences on things like motivation as well as self-esteem and, and confidence and um, some of those things that we know are really, really important for long-term engagement. So we, we're sort of in this space where we think that how goal setting is commonly used at the moment probably isn't optimal certainly in terms of the psychological dynamics and is potentially even creating some psychological barriers for people to to sort of stick with it long-term. And so we're, we're sort of trying to raise red flags around some of those things, as well as starting to think about what some other options or better solutions might look like.
0: More reason why you wouldn't want them that kind of trial and error aspect and you kind of want to get the outdated stuff out of the way and focus on something that you know you don't have to come back every 10 years and drastically change something you mean be like okay we can set this and know this is going to work um for longer mm. and totally you know that that's our role as researchers right to go and
1: do the experiments and run the tests so that we can make life easier for other people who are working in this space um so they don't they don't need to go through their own trial and error we can sort of say to them confidently that if you do this this is what you'll get out of it at the end. Um, and also like, if you do this other option, then just be aware of what these sort of negative consequences could be.
0: Well, I was wondering if you could also speak on the differences between specific and non-specific goals and their effects as well. Totally, so
1: as I mentioned, we're, we're sort of interested in trying to identify some solutions or better alternatives as well. And there's some really, really strong evidence coming out that non-specific goals are just as effective as specific goals in terms of the amount of physical activity that people do. So that, that was first sort of highlighted in 2016 in a really strong um, systematic review and meta-analysis by a team in, uh, based in Canada, which was, yeah, at, at the time it was quite surprising and counterintuitive that, you know, best practice would dictate that we should be setting really specific and smart goals and we should be seeing greater benefits. But that review found that there was no additional benefits of setting a really intricate well-planned best practice smart goals program you may as well just tell someone to go and be more active and it will be just as effective so since 2016 our group and some others have been trying to just unpack that finding and and find out a little bit more around why might non-specific goals actually work as well as specific goals and and sort of uncover some of the psychological dynamics there as well so Again, a lot of the experiments that we've done and a lot of the studies that we've done have been starting to compare different types of goal against each other to see what happens for people and then get a a picture around what might be a a better approach. And so cutting a a long story short on that, what we're most optimistic about is a type of goal that we refer to as open goals. So an example of that is rather than saying, I'm going to try and achieve 8,000 steps a day or 10,000 steps a day. An open goal will be to see how many steps I can reach today. So, like you said, it's non-specific. It's also quite exploratory. and um, what we're finding is that people tend to challenge themselves at just the right amount of of challenge. So they will sort of implicitly or automatically have some gauge of what the sweet spot is, and they'll push themselves to that um that extent they won't overdo it and they won't underdo it, but it's sort of like the Goldilocks effect with um, how much they're gonna push themselves. And so we're seeing the open goals seem to be just as effective as specific or smart goals in terms of physical activity. But importantly, a study led by Rebecca Hawkins at University of Lincoln in the UK, she found that for insufficiently active adults in particular, they responded significantly better to open goals than they did to smart goals. So. The benefits seem to be greatest for the people who need it most. And there are also a range of psychological benefits that don't come with SMART goals. So open goals seem to leave people with a really high sense of having performed well, which is great. You know, it feels like they've they've accomplished something or they've done a really good job. They seem to be good for increasing confidence, for um, helping people enjoy themselves, for making making people feel good while they're doing the task. So it makes the physical activity feel more pleasurable. And so there's a range of really key psychological factors there that come with open goals that we think mean they're much more likely to help people sustain activity long-term. And on the flip side, we're seeing that with SMART goals, even though they lead to a similar amount of physical activity, they also are producing psychological factors like pressure. So people are engaging in the activity, but not enjoying it in the same way, particularly for insufficiently active individuals. They don't find the same pleasure from doing the task itself. They feel pressure while they're doing it. And so we're sort of starting to confirm some of our suspicions that the way that we're currently promoting goal setting and, and using SMART goals across you know quite a, a widespread, widespread way at the moment in physical activity promotion, we're starting to see some findings that might confirm our suspicions that that's actually potentially creating some psychological barriers for people long-term. So, yeah, at the moment, a lot of our focus is in that sort of distinction between setting open goals and specific goals. And and that's not to say that open goals are going to be best in all cases. And it's not a case of saying that, um, you know, smart goals need to be got rid of, and we need everything, you know, we need a a new one size fits all. Ultimately, what we're, I think, moving towards is helping people, kind of like you said, trial and error, Not, not quite trial and error, necessarily, but people will know what strategies they have available to them. And they'll know what strategy is best in which particular situation in order to achieve the best outcome. So, you know, someone wakes up and they're feeling really pumped and they've got loads of energy and they're really motivated. So here's how you can challenge yourself on those kind of days, but also when you wake up and you're feeling a bit tired or you don't have that much time or your meetings run over or you've got assignments due and you don't have that much time. What's the best in that situation where you don't have all of the pressure and expectation and the stress that can come from trying to find extra time But how do you, what type of goal can you set to still enjoy whatever activity you can do that day and still get something on the board and still be happy with it? So yeah, that's sort of where we think we're moving in the future about knowing all of the options on the table and being able to choose the right option in the right circumstance.
0: For sure. Well, I definitely understand what you mean by open goals too. And I love the sound of it because that's the thing I find the hardest thing, especially when it comes to exercise is just starting and getting that motivation so if you don't set like a specific goal then it doesn't feel like a chore at the end of the day and you can just yeah go straight and you got the freedom and you will most likely do it exactly
1: and you know particularly at the earliest stages it doesn't really matter how much you do like the reality is it doesn't matter what's most important is getting started and building momentum and being able to keep going so yeah we sort of think that rather than trying to set some arbitrary number of what you think you should be able to achieve at the very start. Just see how much you're able to do and enjoy the process. And then the next day, see how much you're able to do and you'll gradually build up and build up. And what we're sort of noticing as well is that often people actually are are a little bit competitive with themselves. And so, you know, after you've got a few runs on the board and you've done it for a week or two weeks and, you know, you're your step count or whatever it is, is starting to increase and increase. Often people feel like, well, I don't want to drop any lower now. So I'm going to keep going. And also, oh, I'd like to try and get to this. So then they sort of just keep gradually pushing themselves, but it's all led by them, right? So it's it's about what they think they want to try and achieve in their own way. No one else is telling them how to do it or what they should do or what number they should be pursuing. It's all driven intrinsically by them. So again, we think that's sort of another potential benefit and and sort of an insight into how open goals might work. We haven't really, you know, formalized a model or a theory or anything like that as yet, that will come further down the line, but we're starting to get some insights into how we think they might work and and why we're starting to see some of these more positive effects.
0: Definitely. I say just get a family member or a friend who always says they do things better than others and you'll (laughs) want to beat them. That's for sure. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Well, I also wanted to ask, Christian, what are your overall tips for students with goal setting?
1: Well, again, I think it it really comes down to knowing what's the right type of goal for you in the right circumstance. So thinking back to my own undergrad, which is probably longer ago than I'd like to admit at this stage, there were very different goals for me in my first year compared to my third year. And obviously, at different stages of your degree, there's different sort of Pressures in their own way, and obviously assessments get larger, and there's different types of work that you're experiencing. So again, I'd sort of come back to that idea that it's about knowing that there are multiple different options, and knowing that different options will work in different ways for you. And so I've sort of talked a lot about the negative sides of smart goals and specific goals, but there's a whole you know huge body of research that says that in some cases they're actually really, really good, and we shouldn't ignore that. So the story there is that specific goals and smart goals were essentially developed for the workplace from managers to get more out of people who already knew how to do their job. And that kind of makes sense, right? If you've got employees and you want to try and drive up the company's performance, then if you can set them goals to try and achieve, you'll get people to do even more. The important thing there is that they already know how to do the job, which is very different to just starting out on an exercise program or just figuring out how to be more active. So that's a really important distinction. But once you're up and running then that type of goal can be awesome and it can help you get more out of yourself. And so you kind of just need to be psychologically ready for those, you know, that pressure and that kind of stressful feeling that comes along with it. And it's, you know, you have to feel like it's okay for that to feel like a chore. If it's your last assignment of your degree and, you know, you'd want to do a really good job of it, then it's probably fine for that to feel like a chore and fine for that to be, you know, to have some pressure associated with it. And you, you don't mind pushing through for a few weeks to get it done because you know then it's it's done and you you've done it as well as possible. So I think it's about sort of just knowing that there's different options in different circumstances and choosing accordingly. and um you know certainly in terms of my experience moving into undergrad at the start, certainly the first few assignments and in you know the first few terms, it was very much that I didn't really know what to expect in terms of how the assessors were going to grade my work i didn't really know what to expect in terms of you know how the assessments were run um it was obviously a very different experience to high school so it was it was really just i'm going to see how well i can do and i'll get some feedback and then i'll try and do it that again and keep sort of gradually improving and learning as i go and then for me certainly um as i got into my final year i was you know doing the maths and seeing how what my averages were and seeing how i was tracking and i wanted to obviously get a really good grade and knew sort of what percentages I needed for those grades and then sort of had a benchmark of minimums of what I needed for each assessment. And, you know, for me, it was much more calculated and specific and mapped out and probably less fun because of that. And, you know, it felt more like a chore and I was pushing myself more and felt a bit more pressure, but that was kind of okay, because it was the final year of my degree and I wanted to do really well. Um, And so definitely in my own experience, there's sort of different, approaches that i i certainly took in my degree and maybe that's just something for um you know students here to think about as as they're going through their degree and yeah knowing you've got multiple options and choosing the option that you think is right for you at that stage
0: absolutely there's not just one path there are multiple choices absolutely well christian what is next for you do you have any projects you're currently working on
1: we do we have a project that is just about to get up and running where we're Going to try and test some of these ideas in a little bit of a longer term program. So a lot of the studies we've done so far are quite short term. So either you know within one session or a couple of sessions that people come into the university. So we're we're sort of moving towards being able to give people a, a longer term exercise program, so six weeks or 10 weeks or whatever, and getting them to go away and follow the program. And again, same idea, just testing different types of goal and seeing with seeing how they work. So that's one of the core next steps for us. As I mentioned, the sort of three streams of research that I'm involved in and obviously the goal setting, goal setting one, that's our next step. we in terms of the um, sort of the research around being in the zone and the sort of psychology of exceptional performance stuff. We've just had a really good PhD student finish up at SCU. Uh, his name's Scott Goddard and he's still with us. He's um, working on some projects and we're talking with some potential industry partners around doing some work with them all in and around essentially how we people how we get people into the zone or into flow states while they're on the treadmill um, and while they're exercising. And so his PhD did a really good job of that and saw some really promising signs and was able to get people into flow while they're in our lab on the treadmill doing some running, which probably isn't conducive to flow for a lot of people, but he was able to get people in there, which is awesome. And so we're sort of keen to build on those findings and refine uh, our protocol in terms of being able to get people into flow, and then um yeah, again, one day hopefully be able to provide advice to people about how they can take that into the real world. And when they go for a run in the real world, here's what you can do to experience flow. And the other thing that I'm working on at the moment, certainly in terms of mental health, recently we so SCU is part of a research project that got funded last year across the regional universities network. It's called the Mana Institute, and it's all about um, building mental health capacity in regional, rural, and remote areas of Australia. And so I'm involved in that, and SCU is obviously involved in that, and uh, we're at a really exciting stage of that project in that we launched formally towards the end of last year. And so now this year we're sort of kicking into gear and really getting up and running. So we'll be doing a lot of work in and around um, mental health in regional, rural, and remote um, communities in Australia. And try to build up our capacity and um, invite new partners on board and um, yeah hopefully do some exciting things in that space as well so yeah i've got full projects across all three of those streams which i'm really looking forward to this year
0: that's fantastic christian and i'm a big advocator for mental health too so that is fantastic to hear
1: Hmm. yeah no it's great for scu to be involved in that it's a really good initiative and Last year, we put a lot of work into setting up the Manor Institute and just getting up and running. But like I said, this year we should start seeing a lot of momentum and hopefully some good news stories coming out of it. And um, so yeah, keep an eye out for media releases through SCU around, um, the Manor Institute and um, yeah, our work in mental health and regional
0: areas. For sure. And do you have any socials or anywhere else we could uh, further look into your works?
1: Yeah, so I'm active-ish on Twitter and LinkedIn. So I do try and post stuff on air with updates around when we've either had um, new projects get up and up and running or new papers or even just sort of thoughts and ideas on other things I see happening when I get busy I go quiet on social media so um, if I haven't posted much it's probably just gonna, I'm a bit snowed under but um, I will eventually get back there and post some good news stories so um, yeah you'll be able to find me on Twitter um, on my handle is at c swan psych and I don't know what my handle is on LinkedIn, but I'm sure you would be able to find me just by
0: Googling. <laughs> for sure. Absolutely. Well, thank you for today, Christian. You've definitely opened my mind a bit more as well into goal setting for both as a student and just everyday life. So thank you so much for that. I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope we can have you back on another time.
1: Absolutely. I'd love to, um, for sure. And thanks again for having me on. And um, yeah, I've enjoyed it too.
0: No worries at all, Christian. You have a great day. You too. Thanks, Blake. This has been SCU Buzz Podcast.